0: This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hey guys, welcome
1: to the podcast. Um, this week we're doing something a little bit different. I have a audio clip that we actually published on the blog about a year ago? A little more than a year ago. Um, And it was called Don't Be a Generalist. And it was just a conversation that Stephen Manuel and I recorded when we were hanging out at my house here in Salt Lake City one day. And we threw it up on the blog and said, maybe someday we'll make a podcast. And that was that. But now that we have a podcast, it seems like a great time to put this into our iTunes feed. I think it was a great chat. And what we covered was, number one, why you shouldn't be a spiritual generalist. Number two, if that's the case, then how do you figure out what your specialty will be? Number three, why small groups of men are actually important in figuring this out. And lastly, um, when and when not to imitate men who are ahead of you in the process. So I think you'll enjoy this. It's a little bit longer of a chat, but I know you guys like to hear Stephen's voice, and I promise, There will be more and more of that coming as we go on, but hopefully you'll enjoy it. Let us know, and here we go. Because I live in a place where everybody's so uh, good at things that I've said the secret to happiness is to be okay with being mediocre at a whole lot of things. so You can just sort of tag along and enjoy whatever it is that people are
0: doing that any given day. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that's totally a great way to be happy in life. Um, You know, if you have the need to outperform everybody, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to go into some sort of mania of performance. But the thought that I'm chewing on these days is that spiritually speaking, we can also tend to be generalists and think that, we should all just have a little smattering of every spiritual gift that we see and dip your toe in waters of, well, for instance, if we refer to Ephesians 4, a little bit of evangelist, a little bit of pastor, maybe a little teaching on the side. We know we should all be good teachers, etc. and never getting to a place where I know what my corner of the block is. And I'm really going to do my best to maximize my potential, if you will, based on my gift. Um,
1: So can you, we should back up. We were talking about pastors before I pushed record here just a couple hours ago. Mm -hmm. I don't think everybody knows what pastor, evangelist, apostle, any of those things mean. So before we talk about don't be a generalist, we should talk about what are the options yeah, to be. Yeah, so. At least in summary.
0: Well, Ephesians 4 describes five kinds of men, and I use that word choicefully just because that's what Ephesians 5, 4 says. Five kinds of men, and they are a a, a pastor, which in in... When in Ephesians, you might argue that it's a pastor-teacher is actually one kind of person, but I'll just tell you my understanding of these five kinds of men. One, there is an apostle, and sometimes we can think that an apostle is a, is basically an entrepreneur. This is somebody who goes and makes things happen, like he's a leader, he's charismatic, etc., but... Biblically, an apostle is someone who lays foundations. He sets a culture, and he sets a system in place of creating an environment of the church to live. And they work closely with the second kind of person, which is called a a prophet. And a prophet, their job is to bring heaven to earth by connecting people to God as a communicator, helping more and more people to, to... Come to the realization, I can hear God's voice. That's a prophet. Third, an evangelist is somebody who brings a revelation of God's heart regarding the lost. So that you can imagine for an, an apostle and a prophet, their main interest is heaven and getting people to start living heaven culture. And so an evangelist is very useful because they're like, hey, hey whoa, whoa, whoa wait about all these people that don't know we want them to be a part. So they have constantly, they're like the outreach people. Um, and then the, and then it's mentioned pastor comma teacher or a combo man called pastor teacher. My understanding is that teachers bring a revelation of God's heart for his word. And whenever you've been around a teacher, you, you want more of the word. um, these people are really good students and they help explain things. If pastor is a different person, as we were discussing, then a pastor is somebody who their main job is just taking care of people. They just, these are the people that walk through life's problems with us. They counsel us. They put their arm around us and they're just with us. And you and I know a couple of, pastors extraordinaire who that's just their that's just their reason they're on earth is to just to take care of guys and spend time with them and encourage them and comfort them
1: i think of guys like david sheldon i think of kyle Mm -hmm. my buddy here um yeah and the thing that stuck out to me that he said was pastors are going to take care of things because it's just how they're wired and it's going to show up in this much in the way that they maintain a building as it is in the way that they operate in
0: relationships. right because they're thinking about others all the time well so on the topic of being a generalist my friend austin and i were talking the other night about the men the older men who have made the most impact in our lives dave sheldon is one of those guys and that every one of them, and the, the, my personal list would include people like Peb Smith, Ron Junkle, John Rutke, Michael O'Shields, each of these guys, they, they are so specific in their giftedness and so focused on their thing. It's almost like they have blinders to everything else that's supposed to happen in the kingdom because they just see their thing. And certainly there's a danger if they're not connected to other guys that have a different perspective, but what a blessing they are because they have taken the years and years and gotten their 10,000 hours in of being great at their thing. And we were talking about the danger of being just a general good guy who goes to church and knows the Bible a little bit and just knowing a couple of things and trying to do a little good in the world instead of... Taking the time to go, what, what are my giftings and how can I really give myself to, to, you know, if this isn't the right way to say it, but being great at that, at that gift. So I have a friend named Brad Ferenkamp. He's a young prophetic guy. He hears from the Lord in a way that I don't, a way that few people that I know do. And I just, when I'm around him, I just want to encourage him. Don't spend your time going, well, I'm not that good of an evangelist. So I'll try to be a better evangelist. No. Brad, be a great prophet, like study the prophets in the scriptures, like spend time with God hearing in his voice, be that, be a very clear clarion call in our community of prophecy. And like, it's okay if that's your one note string, you know, just, just keep playing that. So that was, that's kind of where we're going on that. This isn't much of a conversation is it? it's a little lecture.
1: No, I, I guess the thing that jumps to me is Okay. Two things: How do you figure out specifically enough to like dive deeper? Do you think it's just from other people, like the Stevens in your life, that come up and say, "Hey, Mark, quit trying to do everything; do this one thing."
0: Do you know your second question, or we want me to respond to that? Um, respond to that one first. Well, that was exactly Austin's question. He is a young man who is kind of getting established and he said, I I want to, I want to do that. I want to, I want to know my niche and pursue it. And how can I know what that is? And I just said for myself, we were raised around Michael O'Shields and, um, Don, Don Morrison, who trained us in, uh, ministry uh, spiritual gift, kind of ministering with people. So what we did, and I described this to Austin, was over and over and over again, there'd be a group of like six of us who are getting trained. We'd bring somebody in that we didn't know to minister to. All six of us would hear from God, minister to this person, engage in conversation, try to encourage and strengthen them. Then they leave, and then we debrief, the six of us. And everybody responds to, here's what I saw you doing you were really encouraging, you know, this person was really frustrated and you encouraged them. I noticed that you, Jim, every time you spoke, you would get out the Bible and explain Bible verses to him. And you were really trying to, you were really trying to give him strength through the scriptures. That's a teaching thing that you're doing. You, Bill, you just kept kind of Um, conversationally putting your arms around him and said, Hey, God hears you. He loves you. He's your shepherd. He, you know, that's a very pastoral thing. So what we found out is if you do this 20 times with a group of people, you'll start to see trends, or I should say the people around you will start to see trends in what you gravitate toward. And they could call forward a, wow, you have a kind of like a teaching gift. Have you ever spent any time trying to create some skill around that gift. Where are you teaching in your life? Well, I don't teach anywhere. Well, you should be, et cetera, et cetera. So I found that to be a very helpful reference point for me is getting other body members input and observations about what is it that I do. I do that to this day. I'm very interested in hearing what other people say.
1: Sometimes the things people have said to me aren't the things I thought. Right. So when I met you, I remember thinking, oh, clearly God has put me with this guy because he's going to make me into just a truth telling punch in the face for everybody who doesn't get in line. And like you, I guess you were 25 or so when I met you. And I didn't know you, I think, in your even less refined days. But the stories were around that Stephen could walk into a church and just tell them what God thought, screw it all up, you know. But uh, I think when I've ministered in groups of people, I hear people say, "Well, Mark, he just brings the scripture in over and over." And I thought I almost feel guilty when I hear that because I'm like, I feel like I know the scripture about 1% as well as I would like to. But it is true that the Lord keeps bringing Scripture back as I minister to people, and I think it's a little bit indicting to me, like, why don't you spend more time just hammering, you know, to quote Greg Popovich, pounding the rock. Um,
0: Well, I'd, I'd like to say two things about that. One is that I really strongly believe that if, if giftedness is a measure of what we have to bring to the body, then what I want or wish my gifts to be or what I think I'm good at is really irrelevant. It only matters what does the body say that I bring to them. Now, there are some dodos out there that aren't going to give you a good reference for what you actually brought, but you know the people whose voices that you can trust or people who they're just sincere. They don't know you out of anybody, but they're just going to, tell you this is what I saw, I would take those much more seriously than my personal opinions about what I bring to the table, because we are who the body says that we are. And if the body collectively says, we need you to teach us, Mark, then you need to take that seriously and invest in the word. My other reaction to what you said is that a lot of times, because we naturally gravitate towards some things And we were raised in a religious context that makes us think that it's indulgent to do anything that we're naturally disposed toward. We can have guilt and shame towards our gifts because Mm -hmm. it's the, because we enjoy it. Like an evangelist really enjoys talking to lost people about Jesus and that evangelist should not feel guilty that they're not being an apostle somewhere. That's the, that's one of the things that I want to kill when I talk about, don't be a generalist is like, be who, be who you are. So, I understand you saying, like, I feel, like, guilty for being called a teacher. Well, you think, well, I'm not the best teacher I know. So what? Oh, right. <laughs> so what? You could be a great teacher on your own right.
1: And how does this play, then, with everything we've written about on the blog? It says, okay, Dad husband mm-hmm. you are going to be a teacher you mm-hmm. are going to be listening for the voice of God and setting direction um, in a prophetic way you're going to be a shepherd mm-hmm. um, so f- as the father role you better get good at almost all of these things but uh, I, so take that apart a little bit
0: well I think that we have to have i think mike breen who talks a lot about the personal development in fivefold areas he postulates that god will in each of our lives have seasons of our life where he's developing those five things not to make us a generalist but because i want to have an understanding about the church in general i need to understand these five giftings i need i just need to even if i'm even if I'm a teacher and I'll never be anything other than a teacher, I need to understand where I fit inside the spectrum so that I know when to call on an evangelist or I think we're kind of getting our heads up our butts a little bit and we're all about us all the time. Let's get an evangelist in here to talk to us about God's heart for the lost, et cetera. So I need to understand how those things work, and I do agree that if you're going to be a great Father, I, I wish I didn't have to use the word "great." If you're going to be a biblical father, then yeah, you're going to have to you're going to have to do a little bit of teaching. You're going to have to do a lot of pastoring in your home, just being with the people in your home and learning how to do that. You're going to have to hear God's voice that is discerning what's wisdom, et cetera. That's a kind of a prophetic move, and you're gonna you're gonna have some experience in each of these areas. That doesn't mean that that's who you are, or that that's your chief gifting. That's all I would say. So yes, we're all going to have some experience in um, several gifts. That doesn't mean that that's our major. I think you that's your major. Do you think
1: it ever gets in your way? Because I think about, with my oldest daughter, the, the times where I kind of have to push pause and go, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Or when I launch into a long and Complicated teaching, and anybody who has little kids knows that like you'll think you're in it with one of them, especially I think around this age of seven or eight. And you know, it's here. I'm really taking this apart for you, and we're getting somewhere. It's great. And then they look at you and say something like, "You know, I I'm really ready for the ice cream now." Like, mm-hmm. well, what do you? What did you get out of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. Do you think that that can get in our way as dads? Let's just say, like, oh, I'm just wired to want to charge hard at filling the blank with whatever your thing is.
0: Yes. And again, here's where I think that the body helps us to not be um, malformed because we put all of our eggs into some dream basket of our fantasy of ourselves. But. I mean, I would say to you personally, as somebody who's connected to you and as a member of the body at large, like we really need you to develop this teaching gift. So I would say your, your experience with your daughter would say like, okay, I'm still learning. I mean, I am still learning how to teach. And that's not even, that's not a question of what's true. It's actually how to put how to communicate truth into her heart in a way that's acceptable to her in a way that she understands in a way that's attractive to her. Well, that's what a teacher does. That's the gifting of a teacher. So I'd say you're learning how to do that and you're learning, okay, I know a lot of depth and I have passion on a subject, but how, what percentage of that can I put forward to my daughter so that she could accept? Well, anybody that teaches any church group has to ask that same question, which is what can these people receive from me? So I would, I would put a huge, hey, that's okay, on that experience and just say, you're learning as a teacher. And I think that's one of the reasons God gives us children because he wants us to learn how to grow in whatever our gifts is because they'll give us a really honest response. And a lot of times people at the church will just go, thank you so much for that. Oh, that was great. And then they walk out to their car and go, I don't know what that was about. (laughs) I think that's happened in the last six weeks
1: to us. (laughs) There's just as you really want to encourage people that have giftings, even if they're operating in things that aren't their giftings. You know, maybe that happens a lot here because mm-hmm. the church is small. And um, yeah, I think about you gotta it all the be time. a utility player. I'm like, gosh, this person just crapped the bed in front of everybody. But the last thing I want to do is discourage them uh-huh. because man, you know, they're a just key player
0: in the kingdom here, yeah.
1: and they need encouragement. They're all alone, and yeah. I look up to them and get so much. So I'm just going to tell them, great job.
0: <laughs> well, my my personal request at large on that thing would be that we get really good at encouraging people so that, like, you could call out what what it is that they're good at. So you could say to them specifically... First of all, you are such a great asset to the body. I just appreciate your willingness to come and and teach today. Can I tell you what I received from today? And I'm making this up, but I felt so encouraged by your sincerity and your love of God. And I felt like you kind of brought a a sense of worship into the room. Well, what did you think of my teaching? I don't know. I thought you, you really blessed me because you have this gifting of worship or whatever. And say true words to them instead of saying great teaching today when you know that it wasn't a great teaching.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So where in your life are, do you feel the temptation to be a generalist? Oh, man.
1: Um, well, like you said, anytime I'm around somebody... With strong... Ron Junkle. Yeah. Maybe there's a good example. He's a guy that you introduced me to and his like tenderness and his heart for friendship. And I, I mean I've only met him for one weekend, so tell me if I'm describing him the wrong no, way. That's him. But I came away from that weekend so encouraged and I was like, maybe I'm just supposed to come back to Salt Lake City and preach friendship and minister in the way that I just saw him effectively minister to me. And there's some things there where I did, like I gathered up a huge group of guys and told the stories from that weekend, but it was tempting to me to go, well, that's the right way mm-hmm. to operate. And <laughs> tender is not a word that usually gets used when describing me. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. To me, that's where I find temptation is there's that's a universally good thing i'd say tenderness mm-hmm. for example um a heart for evangelism you know my best friend here in town he has he's an evangelist he's giftings there um every time i'm around him i sort of feel like go oh, i need to get back into the gym and build those muscles mm-hmm. um but it's like it's like the the way you talk about running. <laughs> I will run for the amount of time it takes to not get fat, mm-hmm. and that is all. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel sometimes about some of those areas when I'm actually trying to bulk them up. So, uh, but yeah, whenever I'm around somebody who's clearly just crushing it in their in their lane zone, I am tempted to say, "Well, that's how you're supposed to look."
0: Yeah, I think that's the temptation. I I think for all of us, certainly when you're young in your faith and probably for the rest of your life, when you're around somebody who you smell the aroma of Christ on Ron Junkle, you go, "I, I need more kindness in my life. I think it's great to like play act like Ron and to ask yourself from having been around him for the next three months, what would Ron do? I know Ron would be so kind in this circumstance. I want to be more like that. I think that's all great. Um, I think the danger is when we, when we start to um, smash our own giftedness or um, what do I want to say here. I think that as we mature, and we've tried on the different hats of our heroes, that there comes a point where we start to go, I really appreciate him for being who he is, and that's not who I'm called to be. And I totally bless him to be that, but I don't feel the pressure to do the things that he does. John, for instance... John Reike spends a lot of time in downtown San Diego <clears throat> and has this mission down there, cooking food for homeless people. And he just has done that faithfully for years and years and years. Um, he's such a great evangelist. I, I, I love it. And as you say, I do get convicted around him thinking, I don't have as outgoing of a heart as John does. And yet I don't think God has called me to be a part of the downtown San Diego mission and to cook food for people in downtown San Diego once a week. So, I I think as we grow, and 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 I don't, there's not an age connected to that. But as we grow, and we have tried on these different hats, we kind of go. I think this is my lane, and I'm going to pursue that as long as as long as I'm hearing from the body this affirmation that you're in your right place, and I. You know, Brian Tome is a friend of mine who has decades of experience and every sort of outward reason to to affirm his gifts and what he's doing. But he always wants to hear from the body. What do you What do you think I'm doing? And I've heard him ask those kinds of questions before when people say, "Hey, thanks for what you did today," and he'll say, "What do you think I did?" And he wants to hear what does the body say. Who does the body say that he is? I think that's a really smart place to be in. Have you
1: seen him specifically uh, shrink down? Because I think there's the, the temptation, whether we're talking about our families or our jobs or our ministry, to say success looks like expansion, expansion, mm-hmm. more and more. And especially in church culture, the pastor is successful if he has more under yeah. his you know, stewardship. In my family, I'm like we want. I, I say it all the time. I think I took it from you. We want to rule cities someday. Like, yeah. We want to be so trustworthy that God could just dump anything He wants in our lap. Yeah. But then I've heard. I don't know if it's true. You say things like, "Well, Brian's like really shrinking down, focusing on man camp and ministering to men in this way." Um, I don't know if that's more just like in his mind what he's focused on. But have you seen people? Do that shift where they go.
0: Oh, I've let myself get stretched into way too. Absolutely, many yes. I have so many responses to that. One just off the top of my head is there's a verse somewhere in the Minor Prophets that says, "Do not despise the day of small things." And we are all destined. It's God's intention that we would be men who, in that Luke 16 pattern, that we would be given cities to rule. But we don't know the time frame for that. So you could be stuck in small work, the small beginnings work, until the day you die in your eighties, and have a small thing, and that, and your faithfulness there could actually be setting you up to to rule cities in the life to come. You know. So we have to absolutely we have to remove ourselves from this American thing that says bigger equals God's blessing or approval. But specifically with your question to Brian. Um, the answer is yes. He has removed himself from things that he's been involved in for a long time. And it is specifically because he continues to learn more about who he is Hmm. and what he was made to do. So people around him like me and some other guys around him have just said, you are so driving in your lane when you are speaking bluntly to men about having the courage to oppose this culture and to follow Jesus. And he's, and like, there's something that resonates in him like that. And he goes, yeah, that is what I want to do. So that might mean that he can do five less. Well, I know that it means this. It might mean that he can do five or 10 less weekends of teaching on a big stage to tens of thousands of people so that he can make the time to be with a smaller group of men, doing the thing that he's made to do. And Brian makes those, makes those choices all the time. I really, I really respect that because the challenge is to go like, I just want a bigger and a bigger platform. And maybe there's a group of 10 here, but there's a group of 100 here. Well, then, of course, I'm going to take the group of 100 and say no to the group of 10. But that's not, that's not always the discerning move. Yeah, what's going through my head as you talk is
1: It's just not the way that I've been thinking about engaging in community, church community here. But as you talk, I'm thinking, oh, this is probably maybe the most important way we engage with the community is to find about four to eight people who we can minister with Mm -hmm. alongside who can give us those points of feedback. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't look like almost any small group. Would you agree?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, who's, who's your tribes guy you were talking about this morning? Uh, the author. Yeah. Uh,
1: Jack Donovan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we want to say that name on well, any recorded I device. Think it's fine <laughs> because he's Mr. Find your tribe and be around people that will tell you the truth, et cetera. The difference for a church community is we want to be around a, it has to be a small group of guys. Cause we know that I have a, communications degree then one of the things one of the few things that I took away from my degree is that once you get past a group of 12 people the ability to meaningful meaningfully connect with everybody in that group just dissipates dramatically so the magic number is from anywhere from 6 to 12 people that are in your crew that will look you in the eye and say I love you and you made a mistake there that wasn't right um those those people are really invaluable to us, and most Bible studies, as everyone hearing this knows, is a place where everybody plays nice. It doesn't matter how terrible someone is in the group, how much they destroy the group dynamic, even a lot of times how much they say untrue things from the Bible, which is just a nice place. Well, thank you for being here, Billy. I mean you're really speaking from your heart. Thank you.
1: Or we get one guy that the says, jerk, Hey, what you're saying is a bunch of crap. Does. And
0: everybody looks like they Jeez. just got their dog kicked. Right. Instead of having a place where we go ahead and talk about the fact, Hey, we really love and accept each other. Let's say that. And let's also say that when it comes to challenge, we're going to do Matthew 18 with each other. If we see something un. Un-Christ-like in each other. Well, let's just call it out in love. It's not, we're all not going to be, like, judging each other all the time. But please say the things to me that you would want said to yourself. Hey, it seems like you're getting, like, a hard edge every time you talk about your wife. What's going on there? Um, just a community where people give us really fresh, honest feedback in love. And so the, but di- also on the positive side, because that's what's new well, in that's what I'll, you're saying. That's what I was going to say is that the, is that the difference between us and a, a Jack Donovan kind of a tribe, is that we're going to be not just a place of truth. We're going to be a place of grace and truth. That is, hey man, I know you got angry at your wife. You told us that story. You know what? I forgive you. I can see your heart's contrite and as your friend, man, I got to tell you, you can't go down that road and you're spending too much time on business trips and it's making you resent your wife, you know, and given getting into the nitty gritty, but being a place of also grace. And I would say coming back to spiritual gifts topic, we want people who love us no matter what, but they're going to tell us they're going to call out in us. And that and the best way to call out isn't correction, it's encouragement. I mean, the best way to train anybody in anything isn't by slapping their hand. It's by patting them on the back when they do the right thing. But calling out on each other all the time when you see gifts properly used, I mean, that that's one of the, to me, the saddest, like, oversights of the church in general is that when somebody does something that's really perfect and it just fits and like somebody just prays with somebody that's just so right. We just kind of like nod our heads and go on with our day instead of like pulling that person aside and say what you did right there was exactly right. You had exactly God's heart. And if we would do more of that encouraging, you know, I, I just think we would all bloom in our gifts more.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking about some of the opportunities we've had in the last three months to meet with people we don't know very well and talk about money. And some of that's come from the blog, some of it's come from the classes we've taught, but we've kind of become this de facto couple. Oh, you have a money issue, go talk to the parrots. And um, I I think that there's... If anything, I, I tend to jump way too deep into that relationship with somebody I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, give me, sort of in the PEB Smith, like I would like to get your family history and write all my notes down, and then I'll tell you your diagnosis. Right, and you can take that away because you love and trust me, and uh-huh. I'm sure you do. You, you know, you have no reason to. But, um so yeah, I think that the the trust piece of it is something that actually has to either be built or can kind of be handed over. So there's people who have trusted us, even though they might not naturally just because yeah. somebody else told them to. Yeah. Um, and then there's other people who have met with us and we were like, Oh, we really should have built some trust before we yeah. went there with them.
0: Um, it's tough when it with exactly the, scenario you're describing that someone is coming to you basically as a consultant and so i'm a i'm a counseling pastor at crossroads which means i'll sit down with somebody i don't know at all and they will just start telling me their stuff and want my honest instant input and so what i do anytime we're in a conversation like that, we're really sort of advertising or inviting people into the kind of groups that we're talking about. We're kind of advertising. This is what it could look like if you had a group of people around you who loved you and gave you honest feedback. So a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times I will say, um, okay you've just told me some really vulnerable stuff and you've just really opened yourself up to me. And I appreciate that. I honor that. And I have to tell you, I'm about to treat you like a friend. So I just want you to know that when I'm going to tell you what I think and in telling you what I think, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that I, I believe in you and that I care about you, which is why I'm going to tell you the following And so a lot of times I'll shoot, I'll shoot people very straight with that little caveat that I'm going to, I'm going to treat you like you're in my inside circle here for a second, even though you just walked in off the street, because I'm sure you don't have anybody in your life that will tell you the truth. So I want you to know, I look for a place to encourage them and affirm them. I definitely honor the fact that they're being so open and then, yeah, a lot of time I'll shoot them straight. So, Mark, I'm just thinking about the guys who might be listening to this um, and maybe they're intrigued and and full of agreement about the kind of things we've said. What for you is the sort of, um, I don't know, next steps or bottom line as well? If I get my head around this thing about not being a generalist or wanting to understand what my gifts are, what am I supposed to do about that? Maybe it's on my mind because
1: of... We were talking about accountability and meeting with guys. It's been a long time since I've met with peers. Um, I mean, we did critical skills. That was kind of a peer meeting. But I've discipled and I've been looking for older guys and occasionally convincing one to spend time with me. Um, It makes me think that the peer meeting with other men where I'm really finding guys kind of to walk alongside the Barnabases that that could be should be very focused in on not just did you look at any naked ladies this week but did you like what are you actively pursuing given that we as a group of men have identified that you so like i don't know if if you were being prescriptive or not but if you were if they said to me teaching is something that you've got in you but it's it's underdeveloped then that changes the just the the whole nature of accountability because it's not accountability for do you need to confess something it's more like are you using your very limited time
0: are you stewarding
1: well yeah Um, and i think that even looking back at the way we've talked about sort of the meeting that's coming up next week to start getting together with a group of men. We have only thought about it in the, the kind of accountability paradigm that we've been used to, which is much more about like tamp down sin. Yeah. Make sure that, and I think that's good, like, but it sort of gets boring when everybody comes and they're like, yeah, I'm still not doing that. Yeah. Um, and this isn't boring because it's it's like if there's nothing to say then there's even something to say then in yeah. that it's hey i haven't made any progress this week let's figure out what's going on right it's not just yeah i didn't it's uh, right. what did how are you pursuing so i don't know if that answers your question it yeah. definitely gets me excited about trying to unearth some of that too because I wouldn't have ever said that I've got some of the things that seem to be what I'm operating in these days going on so we're doing a lot of teaching and yet I don't get to do some of the stuff that I get to do when I'm out in Ohio for example that feels like okay now I'm swimming in water and Mm. it's like this is what what I'm used to feeling like activated in, you know, Mm -hmm. like praying with guys who are asking for more of the Holy spirit and Mm -hmm. asking for him to speak and getting to kind of walk with a guy through that, that feels like, okay, this is what I was made to do, (laughs) but it's not teaching. It's not, it's certainly not evangelism. Although last time I was in the mash tent, there was like six dudes who, Received Jesus, which yeah. blew my mind because I would have said, well, some guys come here and they see a lot of people get <laughs> saved. Not me, because I'm not an evangelist. Uh-huh. Um, so the more I talk, the more I'm like, "Whoa, crap, I'm a generalist. Uh,
0: well, let me say again that Mike Breen says whatever you're, he call he refers to base giftings. You have a base gifting and then he refers to phases that God will put you through phases. So I I would have reflected back to you. Oh, you saw a bunch of guys get born again. Are you feeling like the fire of evangelism bubbling up in your life? Okay, well then pursue that and say for the next X number of months, this is going to be what I pursue in the Lord is evangelism because he wants to reveal more of his heart to me. It's not because you're going to become an evangelist. You're not. You're not going to become an evangelist. It's something that he's revealing to you about himself. He wants you to know him. And, and if you're not an evangelist, you don't have this. And if he starts kind of putting that around you, it doesn't mean he's changing who you are. It just means that there's something about him that you don't yet appreciate. Um, I would agree with what you're saying about a small group of men because we don't want our groups to be about what we're staying away from. We want them to be about what we're going toward, and we want more of God. And specifically, we want the guys that we're with to walk into their destinies. We want them to walk into their giftedness. So that, I think it's very important for us with all of our, even if your group, when I describe this group of honest guys, maybe that's one guy for you. Not a lot of people, that's the case. You've got one guy that you really trust. Great. Then have this conversation with them and say... I want us to pursue together what our gifts are and walk towards them. And I, and I'm going to call out the things that I see in you and I want you to do the same for me. And I want us to help each other get into our lanes, get into our right lanes and, and reporting to each other. It sounds like so so boring just to report to somebody, but it's so important. Even t- if somebody was hearing you report, well, I've been to five man camps and at each of these man camps here was the felt like the main thing to me and here's when i've had those experiences where you said i felt like this is what i was put here to do i mean i've had those experiences before somebody needs to know those that's somebody needs to be able to walk down a timeline with you and go look man in the last three years you've had eight experiences where you said this felt like i was what i was put on earth here to do and i'm here to tell you Along with these one or two or three or five other guys around us, we would say you're great when you're doing that thing. So go for it, you know. Let's get let's start getting equipped and skilled to be great at these gifts and unleash you on the world. It's good stuff. I Think we got some good stuff there. Yeah.
1: Do you think that I could shofar blow without blowing out the microphone? What about your daughter
0: who's asleep? And your wife?
1: (laughs) I could do a shofar squeaker.
0: Shabbat shalom.